The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. So how do you feel about the Arizona election? Do you feel that the elections in Arizona were done fairly? Do you believe that the people that actually got the most votes are the ones that were declared the winners? Do you think there are valid questions that are out there? Do you believe that Abe Hamaday and the numbers are staggering? I I, I have to tell you, I'm not an election denier. I went after the people in the audit in Arizona. I think we needed to move on. I still think we need to move on. I feel the same way about all of those things. As a registered Republican, I think it was a mistake for people in my party to be so laser focused on 2020 and I think the votes show that out the two best vote getters in Arizona are Republican I shouldn't say that the number one vote getter in Arizona is a Republican and that's the state treasurer Kimberly Yee but Tom Horn is the second best performing Republican right now winning his race although it goes to an automatic recount he's leading Kathy Hoffman the incumbent Democrat superintendent of public instruction by almost 9,000 votes neither of them focused on election denial and election integrity. They focused on the job that they were hired to do. Now, there is an argument to be made about Abraham Hamaday being the attorney general that there is a position for the attorney general to protect elections in some way, no doubt. But the focus on that issue, I believe, ended up doing damage to the candidacy of some of the candidates that were Trump endorsed. But the idea that over two and a half million votes were cast and there's only 510 votes statewide separating the two of these candidates means you've got to take a very close look at this election. The one area where I think Abe Hamaday has a, a right to ask questions, they talked about illegal ballots. And we'll see what the courts say about all these when some of these specific ballots will be in front of a judge or whether they'll be counted or they won't. But the big question, too, is about disenfranchised voters. I am someone that believes that voting should be very, very easy to do, but it should be very hard to cheat. I've got some ideas on how to expedite the election that's been proposed before. It certainly wasn't just my idea, but there are other things that can be done. But doing the Monday morning quarterback of if we lose, we're going to do this. Why not do it ahead of time to make sure you are getting rid of the doubts ahead of time? What I mean by that, the chair of the Maricopa County election, not election, Republican committee, the, the county party for lack of a better phrase, um, now says that the system that they use to certify tabulation machines is flawed and it doesn't do enough. We have been arguing about voting machines and elections since 2020. That's two years we've been arguing about this. If you had a problem with the tabulation machines and the integrity of the testing, why would you bring it up after the election is over? Why would you certify those machines before the election? And then when it looks like candidates are losing four to two on your side of the aisle, why would you now say, I don't like that test anymore? I don't think it does enough. That looks like sour grapes. Am I wrong? I mean, just the appearance. That's what it looks like. It looks like you are upset because your people are losing in Maricopa County. So now you're going to say the voting machines, it's the printers and they had multiple issues with printers in Maricopa County. There has got to be a full investigation. And again, I have no doubt there will be. This is the part of this is where we have to grow up. 
I don't know how else to say it. We have to grow up. The idea that you're going to go after the integrity and you're going to accuse somebody like Bill Gates. Now, I'm not talking about the rich guy. If you don't know this, Bill Gates is the chairman. There's a man named Bill Gates that is the chairman of the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors. Guys like Gates, um, guys like our county recorder, Stephen Richer, um, Clint Hickman, another one of our supervisors, that somehow these staunch Republicans – that have been Republicans their whole lives. They have been good, benevolent, kind servants in our community for years. All of a sudden switched sides and decided to become a conspiracy or part of a conspiracy to steal the election from fellow Republicans. It's an absurd thing to say. That doesn't excuse mistakes. That doesn't mean that there doesn't need to be an honest and transparent and thorough investigation of what happened in Maricopa County so that it doesn't happen again. But this Monday morning quarterbacking where after the election is over and after you don't get the results that you want, then you start asking questions about whether or not the machines work properly. Why didn't you do that before? If the head of the Republican Party in in uh, in Maricopa County didn't like the machines in Maricopa County, then you should have made the stink before the votes began being counted. And now, after the fact, I'm not going to do the post. I'm not going to do the post-election certification. Okay. And what's happening now is this: Democrats were never going to vote with you. Democrats are never voting with Republicans. We're the Hatfields and the McCoys. I'm a Republican. I'm not voting for the Democrats. They're not voting for me. It's just not going to happen politically. Rarely do you see it. Rarely do you see people cross the aisle. It happens, but it's very, very rare. What you're doing is driving away the independent voters, the ones that are truly independent voters. They probably, many of them lean to the right, but they're not going to tolerate this kind of stuff. Now, Abe Hamaday has a legitimate beef. I would have lawyers in court too. 510 votes. There were a million and a half votes cast in Maricopa County. They had all of these printer issues. They had all of these other things. I would be I would be asking questions about that. They're saying that some of the ballots should not have been counted, that they were illegally counted. I'd be asking questions about that. And I'd be raising the issue saying, hang on a minute. We know that voting on, on Election Day, it was very heavily Republican, the turnout, based on the counts, not based on guesswork, the way the counts came out, Republicans gained a lot of ground on Election Day voters. It stands to reason that if most of the voters on Election Day voted for Kerry Lake and voted for Blake Masters, they also voted for Abe Hamaday. And if they were disenfranchised, now with other races, are there enough votes with Kerry Lake losing by over 17,000? It's still not a huge number, but it's bigger than 510. If I were Abe Hamaday, I would say it is well within reason to believe that there may have been more than five, six, seven hundred people that didn't get to vote or and combined with some of the other things that are happening that we need to take a closer look. I think he's the guy that's got a justifiable concern. That doesn't mean he's going to win. I don't know if he'll win or not. But if there's one person that has the right to ask the question, it's Abe Hamaday. Because of how narrow that victory has been for Chris Mays. 510 votes. 
But the idea that people in my party, and it is my party too, I, and I'm proud of the fact that I'm a Republican. I'm a conservative guy when it comes to the First Amendment, especially the Second Amendment. I am a person that is pro-life. I, I mean, there's a lot about me that is very, especially fiscally, I am very conservative. I'm proud of the platform of the party that I vote for. But if people in my party don't stop what and think and take a look at what they're doing, when you have an elected official that now is uh, is elected and we're waiting for this runoff to see if it's it, – or not runoff. We're waiting for this recount to find out if it stands in Liz Harris who beat by just two-tenths of a percent beat another Republican in Julie Willoughby saying she's not going to do her job unless we get an immediate revote. That's why people stop voting for Republicans. And I'm talking about the independent voters who you can win over. When Kimberly Yee gets more votes than any other candidate in a statewide race, you got to look at why. When Tom Horn, the other person that wasn't Trump endorsed, the other person that didn't lead with stolen election and 2020 and election denial and election integrity is winning his race by almost 9000 votes. You have to look at why. And I just hope they do. We do a thing on the show. It's called Did You Hear This? It catches you up on all the major headlines. We're going to do that coming up here in just a moment. If you've not heard it before, stick around. It's a lot of fun. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, let's catch you up on these headlines. Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. With a railroad strike looming, the White House Press Secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, continues to reiterate President Biden's stance on the matter. The president has said from the beginning a shutdown is unacceptable because of the harm it would inflict on jobs, families, farms, businesses, and communities just across the country. How long will it be until the federal government steps in? I don't know, and I don't know to what degree he will. He has been known as, and he has been the self-declared most pro-union president in our history, and I believe he is that. So how far will he go to step up and force the unions into an agreement? Because right now, most of the labor, the uh, rail unions have said yes to a deal, but there are some holdouts, and the other unions say, we will respect your picket line, which means the whole industry could be shut down. It could be very damaging to our economy. I just don't know to what degree the White House will step in. I do believe they want people in the room and they want to have their conversations with the unions, but I don't know how far they'll go or when they'll do it. Kareen Jean-Pierre also spoke yesterday on Dr. Fauci's impact on our country. Dr. Fauci has always led with the science and our country is stronger and healthier because of his leadership. What is Dr. Fauci's legacy? Oh, you're asking the wrong person. I, I really, you are. I'm jaded on this one. Um, Dr. Fauci intentionally lied to us about mask usage. He said at the beginning of this that masks are ineffective. And then later on, he said that was a lie. He was lying because he didn't want people to hoard masks. That's not what physicians do. That's not what doctors are supposed to do. You, you are supposed to be able to trust no one more than you trust your physician. Now, he said he did it for the right reasons. He didn't want people hoarding masks. 
person, but it doesn't matter. You you kind of gave yourself into losing public trust with things like that. The conversations about vaccines and their effectiveness. It did become a political animal under his watch. And part of it I have I do believe part of it is the way he messaged and the things that he said. So is he a great doctor? Was he right most of the time? Probably so. But I don't like the way he handled things, and so I'm a little bit jaded on whether or not Fauci's legacy is going to be a good one. You are listening to Did You Hear This? We do it every day at 1120 on the show to catch you up on the headlines. As we approach Black Friday and Cyber Monday, consumer spending still continues to show strength. There's still a a lot of resilient spending happening out there, a lot of resilient demand. And so that's going to essentially hold us through towards the end of the year and hopefully put us on a better footing for 2023. Are you encouraged seeing that consumer spending is strong considering where we are? Yeah, I like that. I like the fact that we're still spending money. I like the fact that the job market is still fairly strong. It's the one saving grace to what's happening with all of this inflation is that at least people are able to still work and people have enough lines of credit or enough confidence that they're out there spending money as well. Um, And I hope that that continues. I don't have a lot of confidence in it. But, yeah, of course, anytime America is succeeding, I'm happy to see that we're succeeding. And if we continue to spend money and we get those retail um, outlets in in the black, I think that is good. That's always good for America. Tomorrow is Thanksgiving, and a new poll says which food Americans may avoid the most at the dinner table. The survey by the travel blog, The Vacationer, they found that cranberry sauce is the most hated Thanksgiving food. 30% just can't stand it. 29% hate the actual turkey. Why is it so popular to hate cranberry sauce? I don't know. You know what's funny is I love cranberry juice. I love cranberry juice. I do. Uh, when I drink, when I have a one of my favorite drinks is, is a gin and tonic. I put a little splash of cran in it, like it. I can't stand cranberry sauce. I cannot stand cranberry sauce. And I, and I don't know why. I just, I think it's the texture. I'm not a big fan of the texture. So, you know. What about you, Julian? I love cranberry sauce. I you was having do? this debate. Yeah. I think it's awesome. Okay. See, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a person that I eat fairly healthy most of the time. And on Thanksgiving, I'm a disaster because I will eat, of course, turkey. And I like dark meat because it's juicier. Um, but then I am a huge pile of stuffing covered in gravy that's pouring off the plate, guy. And then I sop it up with uh, with bread. So it's like I eat a year's worth of carbs in one meal. So that's going to be to me tomorrow. I'm going to do that all day long and not feel the least bit guilty. All right, that's Did You Hear This? If you've not been with us before, thanks for joining us. We do it every day at 1120, so jump in. We'll catch you up on the big headlines. And speaking of Thanksgiving, uh, it's our hope that you're headed out somewhere fun for the Thanksgiving holiday and uh, give each other some space. If you're out on the roads, we've got traffic reports all day. We've got news reports all day. We're going to keep you informed, entertained, make sure the traffic reports get you where you're going safely. And that's what we do here at KTAR News. And today, right after this show, normally we have Dave Ramsey on the show, but we've got a post-election special that includes includes the first radio interview with the governor-elect. So governor-elect Katie Hobbs will be here along with Barry Markson at about 12.15 right after we do the news expansion at noon. So it would be a great informative way to catch up on post-election stuff. Coming up in a moment, we're going to talk a little bit more about that rail strike. Will the federal government intervene? And if they do, to what degree and how quickly should they do it? Next.
strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, we are just about to sprint into our Thanksgiving holiday. And if you're already on your way and are on the roads, thanks for tuning in to KTAR. We're going to do our best to keep you informed on the roadways with traffic reports. And, of course, the great job the news team led by Gail today doing and giving you information on the news. And uh, we're going to get you up to noon. And at 12.15, Barry Markson is in with a post-election show that's going to include, I believe, the very first radio interview with the governor-elect Katie Hobbs will be with him. So that should be a great interview that happens a little bit later on in the early afternoon. Um, I want to go a little different direction on talking about the economy, and I want to start with the reality. Um, the reality about prices, we talk about this, it becomes very, very political, but here's a headline. This is from the USA Today. This has been traumatic. One mom's battle with homelessness, joblessness, and inflation. And that's the headline. And it talks about a mom's battle with this. The reason why these stories hit home for me is because, you know, when you're young, when you're a child, and I was very young, when I, I guess I wasn't very young. I was a young teenager when my parents divorced, but I had two younger brothers. I'm the oldest of three. And I remember my mom having to fend for – we had to fend for ourselves. There was no help. But it was at a time when the economy was booming. It was in the 80s. It was when the turnaround was coming in the economy after the Carter years and Reaganomics was coming into – and I knew nothing about politics. It certainly wasn't a political thing. But I remember my mom working three jobs for a while until she got into her career. Um, and so here was someone that was just working to keep her head above water and working tirelessly day and night, six, seven days a week. Um, for those of you old enough to remember, my mom used to collect S&H green stamps and we would trade them in for things. And she did everything she could to squeeze every penny out of every dollar just to keep her head above water. And at the time, I, I didn't get it. None of us got it. We were too young. It wasn't until I got older and tried to support myself and realized it's difficult to feed yourself that I it was a miracle what my mother was able to pull off. But also I think – and I, I compare. You know, In your mind, you think of the comparison. If prices had gone up as rapidly then – as we are seeing now, instead of it going the other way around, which was beginning to be the reversal of inflation, um, I believe we could have been in a much different place. By the grace of God, we kept our heads above water. With the help of friends, we were able to keep our heads above water. My mother worked herself into a career where she worked for a major hospital organization in southwest Florida called the Lee Memorial Health Systems. But when I read a headline about a mom's battle with homelessness, joblessness, and inflation, I immediately think of my mother, who sacrificed her entire adult life to raise three kids and she didn't have a choice of saying I can't afford them she had them what was she going to do and so she just worked um, she earned her retirement she's retired now and it's an accomplishment I will tell you that if somebody builds an empire and becomes a billionaire it's miraculous, and it's an amazing accomplishment. I can tell you that my mother's accomplishment of achieving retirement and being able to live out her days the way she wants is as equally miraculous as anybody else who's built a multi-billion dollar empire. And I'll never lose sight of how hard she worked until she got into her career. And she, even then she worked hard, but I'm talking about scrambling to keep your head above water. So that's the reality where I start with an economy is how it affects the working class of people that don't make excuses, that can't make excuses, that just go out and work their butts off. Because I lived in that environment. And when you look at a couple of things, I say what works. And that's the question I ask. What works? 
Um, the rich are going to get richer. Let's be honest. I don't care what the stock market says now. Um, you know that if we have a recession, just like we had in a recession in 2008 and the climbing out of that recession, eventually the wealthiest among us become richer. We had the housing crisis in 2008, 2009. And what happened? There were a lot of people that lost their homes. They had foreclosures. They had short sales. All of that happened. But we know that the rich investors that had the cash to buy those houses bought those houses up and it made them wealthier. They are always going to be wealthier. But what do we do in an economy to get out of the way so that working class people can earn more money? I would say confiscating the wealth of the job creators is counterproductive. If you live in a state that is oppressively taxing its wealthy, they don't have the money to pay the working class. Not nearly as much. The cost of living is through the roof. I want to give you an example of a chart that's in front of me. Uh, Zero res is a zero hedge, I should say. I said zero res. That's carpet cleaning. Zero hedge is a great website for all things financial. They put out a story that said Illinois has not created one net job. As a matter of fact, they've lost jobs in 20 years. 20 years. They have lost over 106, almost 107,000 net jobs since 2000, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. These are not doctored statistics. And they have a chart of the states that have created the most jobs in 20 years. Change in the total employment by state from October of 2022 versus January of 2000. So that's 22 years. Number one is Utah. Number two is Idaho. Then Nevada. Then Arizona. Then Texas. Then Florida. And when you look at the worst in the nation, it's Michigan. Illinois hasn't done much. It is incredible to me. When you look at this and you say, well, what works? What is creating here in Arizona what we've done with the diversification of our economy? I look at myself, of course. I want to stay gainfully employed until I'm ready to not be employed. I'd like to make that choice myself and not have somebody make it for me. But I think about my kids. If they want to change careers, if they want to, you know, they're in their 30s. If my kids want to change careers, that they would have the ability to not only train, but then transfer into something else they like. Uh, My oldest daughter owns a home, and I like to see the fact that because she lives out in Buckeye in the West Valley, that she's watched a steady increase in the equity in her home. So she's financially secure in that way. Even though she struggles financially, she has that cushion that she's building with equity. But I think about my grandchildren, and I've got five of them, and I think, what is their world going to be like as they navigate the public school system or whatever school system in Arizona they end up in? Um, And then they navigate from there when they go on. Do they go on to higher education? Do they go into the military? And if they want to go into the workforce, what if they decide, you know, I'm not going to go to college, but I want to get a certificate. I want to get some kind of of an education in whether it's a trade or something else so that I can make a living, that they can stay here in Arizona, and the choice for them and a career is where they've got multiple choices. 
That's what's been developed in Arizona in the last 10 years, specifically the last eight under this governor. But then the stopping of the bleeding from the previous administration, which was Governor Jan Brewer, and then the growth and the intentional growth and the expanse of our of our economy by this governor and other legislatures. You can't put it just in his you can't just say the governor, you know, vision. Yes. And intention. Yes. But you got to have a legislature that works with you as well. And so this is, I guess it is about politics. It is about me saying that I believe that political machine is the best one for the economy, but it's also about what works. It's hard to argue that when you look at the state of Illinois and the immense taxation that they put on the wealthy and the upper middle class and the the people that have means and pay your fair share and we're going to confiscate your money, those businesses aren't creating net jobs. Arizona is. Now, part of it is the migration to the desert southwest. But it's also intentional growth. It's also reaching out to those other industries and saying Arizona is the place where you want to have your roots deep and wide in Arizona and your companies are going to flourish for the long haul. And that provides generational wealth and generational careers. And I think they're doing a great job of it. And I just think that it works. All right. I've got one more segment before we close it out. Have a little fun here in just a moment. So please stick around. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And thanks for being here. I, I went on a little bit of a rant just a few moments ago about economy and what works and what, what's best. In the end, the government you know, has some primary functions, public safety being one of them, being, I think, their primary function, but also um, manipulating the economy doesn't make sense to me. Most of the people, most of the time, when you look at some of our leaders, they don't have real-world experience. They really don't know that much about what works. Few exceptions, but for the most part, we see leaders that are leading and they're guessing at what works. But there's another issue I also think that happens, and I think the voters were guilty of this. I'm not a big fan. I know more and more people would love to see term limits. I'm not a fan of term limits because I think we do already have term limits. And what I mean by that is the entire House of Representatives is up for grabs every two years. We could replace all of them. Um, One third of the United States Senate every two years, every four years, the president who is term limited to two terms. And so we have choices that we can make as an electorate when people are not going in in the right direction. And when you look at what's happened in D.C., when you look at how people have aged, Joe Biden, the president of the United States, is 80 years old. Uh, Nancy Pelosi is older than 80. Dianne Feinstein is older than 80. Mitch McConnell is older than 80. I think Dianne Feinstein, the senator from California, is 89 years old. I believe she's 89. And we have so many people that go to Washington, D.C., and they live there forever. And I've got nothing against people that are older and wiser. But, you know, every flourishing organization that I know of, whether it's a business or it's a sports team or whatever it is, every organization that I've ever been a part of that's flourishing is training up its next generation of leaders. And what we're seeing here, what's happening right now is people in Washington, and I would I would go even as far as to say locally in our government, we have two we have people that do not want to give up that power. 
You know, one of the I'll, I'll talk about this organization I work for, where I work for here at KTAR News. We have an internship program where we work with young people that are Cronkite students, and then many of those Cronkite students, when they graduate, the best and the brightest of them come to work for this company, and there is always fresh blood coming in here. And I don't know of anybody that's looking over their shoulder saying, oh my gosh, this person's going to take my job or that person's going to take my job. It is a pleasure to work with young, hungry people with new ideas and different ideas, and it's a, it's what makes a company healthy. And when you look at American politics, both sides of the aisle, this is a criticism of both parties. Um, they don't train up the next generation of leaders. They are not saying to people, here is a pathway. We are seeing far too many people stay around for far too long, and we, we you know, the president is 80. Well, Donald Trump is not much younger running on the Republican side. And we don't know that he'll be the nominee, but that's that, that's where we have issues. Who is it out there that's being trained as the next generation? Who is it out there? Because I know whether you're uh, someone, I know people that work in politics that are lobbyists. You know, I know those are evil people, but I think they do great work. There are people that are lobbyists that are training up the next generation. Uh, people that have a flourishing company. I don't care if it's a PR firm or whoever it is. The board of directors of major corporations know who the next generation is going to be that when it's their time to step aside out of leadership, they have trained up and mentored the next generation that's going to step in and probably do it differently, but be qualified to do it. That's what a healthy organization does. The Republican Party sure doesn't do that. Now, we have college Republicans and young Republicans, and they're great organizations. They're great groups of young people, but they don't nearly get the attention that they should from those in power. We should be training up politically, the politicians and the political leaders in this country should be training up that next generation. They should be teaching them leadership skills and teaching them about the, all of this. And we should be doing it. And we just aren't. And we are aging ourselves out and the leadership needs to change. Very, very soon the leadership needs to change. So what we're going to do, I just want to say before we head out um, – because my time is just about done until Thanksgiving. I'm going to remind you very quickly that Barry Markson is going to be here in about, f- about 20 minutes from now with a post-election show that will include the governor-elect of Arizona, Katie Hobbs. Be, I think it's her first radio interview. Should be a great thing for you to listen to. But I just want to say thanks to everybody. What am I thankful for? And I'm thankful for so much in my life. I have a job that I love. I work with a great team of people that I absolutely love working with. And so I'm very thankful for so much in my life. And I hope you feel the same way. I hope wherever you're traveling today, wherever group of people you're going to be with tomorrow. It's people that you love. And I hope you'll also keep in mind those that are less fortunate than us, that having an opportunity to intentionally give is something we all should look for, that all of us should look forward to giving and giving generously as much as we can of our money, of our talent, and our time. Um, that is something else that can make this holiday season special for so many more of us. Social media users, you want to keep in touch until the next show, which is going to happen on Monday. You can find me on Twitter at KTA. That's my personal Twitter account. The show account is at Broomhead Show that updates you on guests and things that are happening on the show. Follow both if you'd like. And, of course, Mike Broomhead, all one word on Instagram. That's where you can keep and interact with me between shows, and I hope you'll do that. I hope you got a great Thanksgiving. I hope it's safe, and I hope it's with people that you love. So until Monday, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. God bless. Okay.